Hey everyone, Asim here. Carbon Hack is back this year. The hackathon will take place from Monday, March the 18th to Monday, April the 8th, 2024. Carbon Hack 24 is all about redefining the way we measure software to reduce its environmental footprint. At the heart of this hackathon is Impact Framework, an open source tool that lets you compute and report the environmental impacts of software applications accurately. Here's the challenge. In small teams, participants will have the freedom to choose from a variety of prize categories. So how can you become part of Carbon Hack 24? It's as simple as signing up on our website at grnsft.org forward slash hack forward slash podcast. Join us for three weeks of exciting challenges where engineers, designers, and content creators will use Impact Framework to measure software's environmental footprint. We can't wait to see what innovations and solutions emerge from this incredible event. See you there. When I think about anything we choose to do, not only in terms of carbon and IT, but in our life, if it doesn't have purpose, it's almost a waste. And we forget that we're not really building things for ourselves in technology. We're trying to build services for one, helps people in their day-to-day lives and hopefully saves the freaking planet in the next upcoming climate change catastrophe the rest of our lives. Hello, and welcome to Environment Variables. Brought to you by the Green Software Foundation. In each episode, we discuss the latest news and events surrounding green software. On our show, you can expect candid conversations with top experts in their field who have a passion for how to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of software. I'm your host, Chris Adams. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Week in Green Software, where we bring you the latest news and updates from the world of sustainable software development. I'm your host, Chris Adams, and in this episode, we'll be discussing generative AI, worrying impact that it could be having on the environment, and we'll also cover some exciting news from Xbox and some events for you to take part in as part of the world of green software. Before we dive in, though, let me introduce my guest. With us today, we have Erin Both the former head of cloud at the UK Home Office, now turned cloud sustainability advocate joining us. Hi, Aaron. Hello, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on. So my name is Aaron Booth. I, like Chris said, former, in name, in, in some ways, product manager for public cloud at the UK Home Office. But while I was there, I signed a 130 million pound contract, was part of negotiating the memorandum of understanding between the UK government and the cloud providers of hyperscalers, AWS Azure and Google. Um, and did a lot of other stuff for the cloud community across the UK and then moved into my own consulting. So I've been running a consulting company for the last few years, too salesy or anything, but it's called Cloud Sustainably, just helping people rethink how we consider carbon emissions in IT because it's on the rise. And obviously we all know and care about this. We wouldn't be listening to this podcast otherwise. And yeah, I think more people talking about it, it does the world a little bit of good. And yeah, I've been on an interesting journey to say the least. Okay, thanks, Aaron. So if you're new to this podcast, I am Chris Adams. I am the policy chair. So I'm the chair of the policy working group in the Green Software Foundation and the executive director of the Green Web Foundation. 
every week we do this, we will basically share any of the links that we discuss and do a roundup of the news. So that's generally the plan. Today's going to be a bit of a short one because it's Easter. So we're going to keep it short and sweet. And I suppose, Erin, should we look at what stories have come up on our radars today? What's the first one here? There's one about generative AI and in particular, the environmental impact from generative AI and cloud zombies. Erin, I think that given your background with cloud, the cloud zombies one might be an interesting one for you to start <laughs> with, actually. It is really interesting, yeah. Cloud zombies, I mean, that's, we could probably use any term we want, really. I did a talk on being ethical in tech at re-event last year in November. And just before that, I did a talk, I think it was titled Dali. Oh, God, what was it called? No, is Dali ethical? Something around like the use of AI. What's the purpose? And this is Dali the AI model, not the former modern artist, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a good comparison, isn't it? Names have such power and sort of representation in terms of what we're open AI going forward with creating this. And I see the power of AI. I use it myself, like when I'm on Instagram, on TikTok and all these things. And you see these, I don't use filters, but I do use like generative images. I had one recently, which was really cool. But when I think about anything we choose to do, not only in terms of carbon and IT, but in our life, if it doesn't have purpose, it's almost a waste. I saw a lot of apps on Twitter uh, ever since I did that talk and just keeping up on what's going on in the world of AI. Stuff like, oh, change your haircut to these five different, 10 different styles, and it costs like 30 quid. Because... It costs that much energy, effectively. Like this article and some of the notes here are talking about the carbon emissions training a model. So what was it? Chat GPT-3 it was 502 tons of carbon, which at the end of the day, what is that? A little bit in Norway for a little bit. But if we're all using this all of the time, and now what we're seeing is stuff like Bing and, and other search engines and integrating using this model as every single transaction on the internet. And there's a lot of transactions on the internet. It's bigger than we realize. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's the stuff that you get to use. I think this term mm -hmm. cloud zombies is particular being referred to this idea of basically long running jobs and basically mm -hmm. essentially cloud stuff that no one is even using, let alone some of this stuff here. Mm -hmm. You could probably make an argument that most us aren't necessarily asking for kind of neat kind of AI features inside Bing when we're just doing a search. But I think this one was specifically referring to this massive amount of waste from people generally not really turning things off or just it being easy to leave something on than mm -hmm. then to turn it off and face the consequences of things being turned off. I think that's where mm -hmm. the phrase came from. And I wondered if this is something you might have something to speak to given some of the background with cloud that you saw. Definitely. I mean, you think about working at the Home Office. None of this is not public, by the way. This is in ministerial statements in Parliament. But the percentage of AWS spend as terms of cloud, and we had the definition of cloud is always hazy, a bit dreamy and up in the cloud. But we estimated it was about 94 to 97% of all of our spending was with AWS when we were at the Home Office. And when you think about that, is that a problem? Yes, no. But we started using the cloud in that department in 2016. And it's now 2023. Think about the journey cloud's been on since it was invented, or invented, or whatever else we started using it. It has gone through generations. Like we, we used to string together S3 and VPNs and build things ourselves. Then we have managed services. Kubernetes came along in the middle, like all of these different generations of the cloud. And a lot of enterprise organizations are now carrying all of these generations of the cloud and sometimes losing the skills. As new people come in, they're not always got the history of skills or long-term experience. They've been taught whatever's being taught today. All right. <laughs> Let's park that one there and come back to a little bit later because there's an event later on with the head of digital sustainability who's speaking, Green Tech Southwest, and we can touch on some of that a little bit later. Next story we see here. I see one about some of the new ideas in Xbox. Xbox has some new energy management tools, which they're basically using to 
by the sounds of things, reduce environmental impact from gaming specifically. Mm-hmm. One of the key things was this idea that by essentially optimizing Fortnite, the game, people have been able to identify something in the region of 18 megawatt hours a day of power and mm-hmm. at the same amount as basically an entire wind farm in Sweden and basically remove that by making some optimizations to the actual game itself by removing, say, excess use which people aren't using, for example, or removing some of the really expensive computing when it can't be perceived so easily. Mm. This is one thing that I didn't realize that this is actually quite interesting in my view because, A, we forget just what the impact of gaming might be when you have all these machines which are about Mm. maybe half a kilowatt of power or hundreds of watts, for example, but also the scope Mm. for actual optimization here. Yeah, and I really like what Microsoft's doing, to be honest, in terms of Xbox and the direction for their technology, because they clearly have a vision that's further ahead than other providers, I'd say, in some ways, especially when it comes to sustainability and technology and just even Connect. I remember Microsoft uh, Xbox Connect, like that was pretty cool back then, and it just got dropped off slightly. And I think PlayStation's a bit ahead in, in VR with the new VR2 coming out, but... I like to think about this again as a generational problem of gaming. Gaming is one of those industries which is derided a lot in the media and people assume like hardly anyone's a gamer. I probably bet in now, especially anyone who's listening to the podcast, you game a lot more than you realize. Like people do it on Candy Crush, do it online betting, it's all gaming, it's all game theory, it's all basically around, okay, what we get out of this, what's the purpose of this game? It's either give you fun or, or take money off you, pick your poison. And I've got an Xbox. I've also got a PlayStation. And Xbox is doing some really interesting stuff. I think one thing I might have read, and maybe it's not in this article, but it's like just doing updates and downloads at a period where the carbon intensity of your energy grid in the country that you live in is low. So scheduling it overnight or whatever it is, because it, it doesn't follow the sun per se, the way we consume energy, especially when renewables are coming in the day. And it varies, especially Europe, where we're all connected. So it's, I don't need to care about that. I don't need to worry, go around my house and unplug things and do all these smart home setups if it's baked into the technology that we're delivering and Microsoft obviously just deciding to do that. Whereas PlayStation, and especially, I'm going to say, rather than PlayStation, Activision, Blizzard, like Activision and COD, have you seen the size of some of these games? GTA Five, they are like almost terabyte games these days. And you think like they're always getting updated, people are going up and down. And especially when you almost have to do a fresh install somehow or some reason, I've had to do it once or twice over the years. And it's, that was really unnecessary. And as much as we had like games flying around discs years ago and everyone's saying do digital now, it's like, with a game, I can keep that, pass it to a friend, take it back to a shop and get a refund from CEX or a computer exchange store. Whereas now if I get a digital download, what I'm getting is a license to rent something off you in the future and continually have to ask for permission to download it, which you may just ban me one day, who the hell knows. So it's okay, we're solving the technology carbon element now where like Microsoft's going, but didn't we just do that anyway with discs? Recycle your discs. It's mostly plastic and glass and cases and whatever. And yeah, do you know, there's an interesting fact, and Corey Quinn mentions this one, the fastest way to transfer data around the world is on a hard drive on a plane. That's the quickest way to send data halfway around the world because the fiber network speed of light is the limitation and there's only so many open routes. So it's like, okay, we can still ship more data in the world but it's just like, yeah, put it on the back of a plane, fly it around. It's, that's what we used to do with discs anyway. So it's thank you, Microsoft, for kind of thinking about this. But what's the point of all this? And like these days, especially with AI, do games have to get any bigger? Like, I'm pretty sure most games I love, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, it's cell shaded. It's timeless because of its style, not because of it's trying to chase realism of the day, because we always get better at doing realism. So we always date a game by being realistic. <laughs> so this is actually a nice segue because... One of the ideas for this story here was people are 
basically talking about getting between 9 to 16 watts per user of savings per player, basically, which I know sounds okay. And then you've got to think about how does that relate to, say, the power usage of, say, maybe a PS5 or Xbox. The numbers mm. that we... I just did a bit of Googling for this beforehand, and we can see some numbers for, like, when a game is in full use. So with a PS5, the numbers we see from, say... Okay, I'll be honest, this is pretty short, so I, the citation required. From ecoenergygeek.com, PS5 power consumption. Gaming figures, you're looking at around 200 watts with them out going up to 350 watts of power. Now, when you compare that to, say... Nintendo Switch, which is basically, let's say you're using something full-time gaming. You're looking at maybe between 6 and 12 watts of power usage here. Now, this is something which is 10, 20 times. And I, you've got to ask yourself, is it really 10, 20 times better, the experience for this, when you have this kind of trade-off here? This is one thing that we're not really so aware of when we're looking at the gaming we, we might actually use here. Because the savings we're seeing here are mm. basically the entire usage of some other smaller devices, like you just mentioned. For me, I've got a Steam Deck, for example. They have Steam do gaming, and like you know, they've built community. They built the Steam Store. Like you know, that in itself revolutionised gaming. Like the games died off for probably creative differences and gotten bored and all fighting rather than playing together. But you know what they created a store is really good. The Steam Deck and the innovation in hardware is really good. So like they had a bit of a dodgy controller, but I love the Steam Deck. Not only can I stream games to it, so I can have it in my house, connected to my Wi-Fi, and stream Microsoft Cloud straight to it. I can remote play to my PS5 to it. I can emulate other games that are legal to emulate if I own copies elsewhere. Blah blah. blah disclaimer here. And yeah, it's a brilliant device. And to be honest, I've not looked into the energy consumption so much, but gaming we shouldn't worry about gaming if i'm in a gamer you shouldn't sit here and worry about our energy consumption of okay i've left my tv on and i've had a game on all night i remember when i was a kid i didn't have a memory card for final fantasy 7 i had to play with my playstation and never switch it off and say to my mother never turn this device off because we don't own a memory card and you can't save games so i'm like trying to play final fantasy 7 and crash bandicoot with like never stopping it which is quite an interesting one not a good attempt. I tried playing Crash Bandicoot recently as the remasters, and oh my god, that game is frustrating. I can't believe I even bothered as a kid. So, at the end of the day, gaming is about connecting people. World of Warcraft, best game for me in my life in a lot of ways because of the people and the connections I made. I have four godchildren because I met a friend in a guild. She married the guild leader. They had a kid. They asked me to be the godfather. I went to a, another wedding, uh, second marriage of hers. We've been lifelong friends ever since I met her when I was 13, playing World of Warcraft as a little warlock, or a female warlock, which is quite interesting. That's all my online personas have ever been women. <laughs> which is, now I look back at it and I go, that's really interesting. But yeah, it's good fun. And uh, yeah, it brings communities together and it's healing. Tetris, great example. If you play Tetris after a serious accident or incident, whether that's a stress, ambulance, blah, 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 it reduces PTSD because you give your brain something to do while you're trying to process all those thoughts, and it actually helps you not get them stuck and can do with your hands and spend more time processing at the same time and literally prescribe someone 30 minutes on a Game Boy of playing Tetris or on the phone after an accident or after whatever else, and it'll really help them in the future. So gaming is not to worry about when it comes to carbon. I, I think... What is to worry about is just attitudes from gaming companies around their impacts and how they run things. And that's their choices rather than the console manufacturers. Some licensing deals here and there, but yeah, it's open wild west out there these days. So don't blame the gamer. Blame the way the game is presented. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. 
<laughs> All right. Shall we jump on to the next story? Yes. All right. Next story we have here is Wagtail and the Summer of Code. This is quite an interesting one in my view. Basically, Wagtail is a CMS, just like WordPress is a content management system used by a significant part of the internet. Wagtail is used by companies like, say, a number of charities, Google, lots of well-known blogs are actually running on this. And uh, this project is about the Google Summer of Code. There was a joint project, basically start embedding some greener coding practices into Wagtail itself. So the idea here is to do things like introduce some kind of green modes or also think about Okay, ways that you can create a different architectures to make this scale down to zero in various places. This one actually I think is, I have to say I, I am somewhat involved in this because this is a joint collaboration between Torchbox, an agency, and the Green Web Foundation. We've been doing some work for this. But there's a number of really promising directions for this to go in. And this was using some of the tools from an organization called Green Code, Green Coding Metrics, largely because when you do use some tools like, say, a CMS, it's not obvious where to make these optimizations. And if you're making able to have something open for people to start implementing some of these patterns, the idea is that you can possibly adopt these in other places. Mm. So I might ask you, actually, yeah, any reckons at your end on this one, actually, Aaron? So it's really great. In terms of anything that is up the scale, Wagtail is effectively a content management system, same as WordPress, I understand it in terms of that. It's not sort I've ever heard of. I might take a look afterwards, just have a little look then. But yeah, great. Do carbon reductions at a platform level and if you can hack around it. Like this is the great thing about open source projects and whatever else. Like if you solve an open source project, as in terms of it has this capability now and anyone can contribute to it. But if you solve the problem, then we can come back later as a team, as everyone in the community to say, okay, we care about this now. We're going to show it some love and make it better. That's the whole fucking point about community-driven development, which is open source communities. This is the sort of thing which we could almost stop and do anyway. And you see this on Kubernetes, especially these days. I think Adrian Cockroft did a good talk at QCon, just talking around, obviously, stuff he learned at Netflix, but you know what we need to do with Kubernetes. Because Effectively, Kubernetes is a zombie of its own. It was open source to encourage people to be able to migrate between clouds or just have a more generic platform layer. You put a box and a Docker, whatever, to Kube, and it goes there, and we can move, trade Kubes around. But the reality is it helped people get onto the cloud quickly. Okay, I can write all these things. But at the end of the day, there's always services that are connected different ways. So it's like I've got my Kubernetes cluster with all my nodes and whatever else. And then I'm relying on oh, SSL. It's always SSL, isn't it? Like all of these things, which are either cloud provided, you, you host from AWS, or you buy a SaaS service, and you've then you with think of it as chemical reaction. You're as slow as the weakest reaction, or whatever else, or the bond is as weak as the weakest chain link. And that's where a lot of the time, when I see outages in the cloud and have experiences them, it's never really the whole of Amazon going down. Though that has happened, it does happen a lot more regularly these days due to thermal events. That's why we care about carbon emissions. A lot of data centers can't actually handle variations in temperature than designed for that. But that's where it actually goes wrong. Like you don't even notice it as well. And I think you asked me something earlier, which I didn't finish off and I'll come back to it now. Enterprise organizations, and I'm talking generically here because I know it's going to be a problem everywhere because to be honest, they all run in very similar ways. And the government, civil service, massive organizations have worked in all the biggest ones, Ministry of Defense, DWP, Home Office, HMRC. They're very similar. We don't even know what we build. Like enterprises generally... Things will get built. Innovations, money will come in. Because this is it. Money arrives at a decision maker and then something gets built underneath. So when you're an enterprise organization, you've got all this money flowing out through cash centers, cost centers, whatever you call them, bloody accountancy things. 
and stuff just starts getting built, which is fine. But people are building their own fiefdoms. People move on. Things get passed around. I would bet any money that people who've gone to use ServiceNow, especially ServiceNow, because it's very self-directed. You have to do a lot of manual work. And I think they've got better things these days. But again, it's hard to connect everything across the generations. I would be very surprised to find many organizations that have a very full record of every single IT service, its service name, it's in service now, all of its onboarding for live service and operations, because things just fall through the cracks and they just exist. They are zombies themselves. You'll have a service that just works. Even look at the internet itself. There's so many open source projects that sit underlying all of our core open projects that I think there was one a couple of years ago where, I don't know if it was protest or it just went down, but it caused half the internet to fall over. It's like, yeah, we're all building crumbling towers when we go too big in terms of tech and IT, especially enterprise, because sometimes it's like, oh, you know, you're a bit of an old man now, Microsoft. Can you really do everything and it's dog? Like, especially when startups are just doing it better and faster. DigitalOcean, Genesis Cloud, Leaf Cloud, all of these places in Europe. Okay. All right. We'll pick that thread when we come back to this. Let's look through the last few stories that we have here because we're just coming to the end of it from here. There's a few events coming up. There's the Linux Foundation Energy Summit in June in Paris. There's a few people speaking specifically about tools like Carbonura SDKs. And if you're in Paris, it seems like it's worth going. I know that I'm actually going along to see some of the talks because it looks like one of the most interesting places to essentially find out what's happening at this intersection, one layer down where we work with at the internet, for example. There's that there. There's also an upcoming event is Green Tech Southwest, the meetup on the 20th. This looks interesting because if nothing else, you've got Adam Turner, who is the head of digital sustainability at DEFRA, talking, basically providing a bit of a way in for people who are new to the idea about applying sustainability to the digital sector. But he'll also be talking about the UK government's digital sustainability strategy themselves. This, I think, is actually quite interesting because this is one of the UK's probably further along than a number of other governments right now. And they're at least very quite public on this. I might ask if there's anything that you want to add on to this one here because we're coming up to the last few minutes for you, Eric. Yes, I'll take it over for a couple of minutes and just kind of add my views on it. So I'm a former civil servant. I was independent, impartial, following the government, blah, 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 blah. Always did my job to the most trust, honour and respect of that role. I was part of a lot of these negotiations and sustainability was always a touchy subject. Like it's a very difficult thing to get anything straight out of a lot of companies because we're all playing with assumptions and numbers right now with the reality of it. Like scope free hardly exists in all the cloud providers, especially AWS. They don't show scope free at all in any of their online tools or any of their reports. They have an awful report. 451 did this report about the carbon reductions you can make by migrating to the cloud. And they say you can have 88% energy savings in the cloud if you migrate to the cloud, and therefore you'll have carbon reduction. Okay, I said something very specific there. 88% energy reduction if you migrate to the cloud. If you read the report itself, it only covers scope two carbon emissions. It doesn't cover scope one, which I thought was quite interesting considering there's so many diesel backup generators in all of these places. You think about Puerto Rico, for example, when they had the hurricane several years ago, the only thing that didn't lose power on on that island was the data centers. The people of that country waited, what, nine months, year, 18 months to get power restored to everyone? Data centers never lost a day because we prioritize data of people over people themselves. That's the crazy thing that's going on here. We're like worshiping these boxes of ones and zeros rather than thinking, maybe I should do something better with my energy on this island and help people out for a little bit and take the loss and turn off some hard drives, put it all in disk or tape storage and tear the damn thing off for a bit. 
I've been recently asked to propose a book to the British Computing Society on green operations, and I'll be writing that hopefully with some co-collaborators and figure out how can we really reframe this as a cultural issue. Okay, we are DevOps because if you think about DevOps, what are we prioritizing? Development and developers. We're thinking about ourselves when we're building services. Try thinking about the people and the planet. So this is the DevSusOps thing, is it? Mm-mm, not dev sus ops that was adrian's term and we're not going to use that in some ways it has its own purpose but again i don't want people thinking about developers or sus like it, it just doesn't even make sense like what you read that i have no green operations is about thinking people and the planet when we're building services if you put those two things at the top of your priority list okay what is my priority it's for people and the planet not users by the way people and then you go okay how do i build this i'm going to build it with diversity and accessibility at the front of my mindset and open source and reusability. And if honest to God, you just do those things, think about people on the planet, build accessibility needs and usable parts and sharing and SaaS services, people just want to use it because it is actually a good service. You don't have to just build everything from scratch. You just need to think about things differently. And it's always chasing the tail or the money or the next feature, whatever else. And we forget that we're not really building things for ourselves in technology. We're trying to build services for one, helps people in their day-to-day lives and hopefully saves the freaking planet in the next upcoming climate change catastrophe the rest of our lives. So Green Operations, hopefully be published by the British Computing Society once I submit the full manuscript later this year. And yeah, it'll be a good little thing to sort of, you know, think differently when it comes to sustainability in the cloud. Okay, so Green Operations, you heard it here first. I think that takes us up to the time we have for this, actually. Aaron, I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us for this episode of This Week in Green Software. Can I just add one more thing? I always love doing this at the end of my podcast. One is just in terms of if you want to find me, my name is Aaron Booth, but my online persona is Aaron Clouds, A-E-R-I-N-C-L-O-U-D-S. That's on most social media. It's really easy to find. Quite a unique name. But what I always try and say to people is like, if you're listening to this podcast, if you, if you finish it and made it this far, thank you so much and well done. But do something nice in the next week. Take some time off you were going to do. Spend some time in nature. Don't forget that there's other things out there rather than staring into a box and a screen and working for cloud companies or technology companies when, you know, you shouldn't really be traveling away from everyone all the time. You shouldn't always be on the go. We need to balance these things out. And that's Green operations. If you stand in nature, you're going to think about nature a lot more when you're making decisions. If you're always away from it, if you're in a city, you're on the tube, getting back home, sitting down, having a takeaway, it doesn't really cross your mind. And sometimes we just need to have a little bit of fresh air and it really helps us just do some of this stuff. I'm basically a digital hippie. So let's go and let's do this together. Peace and love. <laughs> so the secret to green ops is to get out in the green. All right. That's a nice point to end on. That's all we have time for. All the resources and links will be added to this. If you have any feedback, go to greensoftware.foundation in your browser. And if you did enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Your feedback is valuable and helps us reach a wider audience. So thanks again. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode. See you next week. Ta-ra. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Environment Variables on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do leave a rating and review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we'd love to have more listeners. To find out more about the Green Software Foundation, please visit greensoftware, 
greensoftware.foundation. That's greensoftware.foundation in any browser. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.